Welcome everyone to the Fantasy and Betting Podcast presented by the 33rd Team. I'm your host as always, Josh Larkey, and many of you remember that I used to live in San Diego and I was always a Chargers fan growing up. So why does that matter? Well, first off, Joe Burrow has the calf strain. And I have to say, for Joe Burrow fantasy enthusiasts, this injury is almost convenient because now you can actually move Justin Herbert ahead of Joe Burrow in your fantasy rankings because of the injury when really Justin Herbert should have been there the whole time. The the rushing floors and ceilings were pretty similar before the injury. Now, of course, with the injury, Herbert just trumps Burrow with the floor and ceiling of rushing. And then I'd say that in terms of actual fantasy points, we saw Justin Herbert with over two, 22 fantasy points a game in year one and in year two. Year three, he has the rib cartilage injury. Every wide receiver on the depth chart gets injured. Uh, the, the franchise left tackle Slater goes down with injury and misses most of the season. And Joe Burrow had an awesome fantasy season last year, didn't he? We all remember it, and it was actually below 22 fantasy points a game. So it was worse than Herbert's first two seasons. At this point, please, everyone out there, take Justin Herbert, move him up and above Joe Burrow in their fantasy rankings. Ryan Reynolds, welcome to the show. The co-host as always. Talk to me about Joe Burrow. You're, you watch more tape than I do. You have better stances on quarterback talent and how they are going to be able to perform with different limitations. How do you view this injury affecting him? And do you kind of agree at this point that we should just slot Burrow in there above Burrow in pretty much every format? Yeah, I mean, like I, I like Burrow more in best ball than in, in regular redraft because in terms of like a weekly ceiling, Burrow's a guy who shreds people for 400 yards and five touchdowns every now and again. And ultimately, we want to have that in the right week. So one, I think one of my better assets in like sports betting or fantasy is that I'm not afraid to lose. I don't play scared. I like buying dips like this. You know, even if Burrow misses a game or two, what I ultimately want him for is the playoffs. You know, week 17 against the Chiefs. He has a week 15 matchup against the Vikings defense that couldn't stop guys like Daniel Jones and Mac Jones last year. So those are the areas I want him in. If there's a dip on Chase, I want it. Dip on T. Higgins, I want it. But in a redraft league, yeah, I'm definitely taking Justin Herbert ahead of Burrow now where it was it was close before, even with a slight lean towards Herbert in that situation. Well, I think the the other big news of the, the day at this point is running backs. Why don't you kind of intro how the, this market looks? Since if we're going to talk about the most important position at quarterback to begin the show, I think we should talk about a lesser important one. Yeah, there's uh, you know, there's been some uh, late breaking, not really late breaking, but camp news <laughs> on running backs already, difference makers, you know, and the thing is contracts for running backs, like they're not getting paid anymore, you know, and I think like one, you know, the, the idea of running backs don't matter. I think we're going a little too far down that road now where, you know, guys like Saquon Barkley are more valuable players than this iteration of Dalvin Cook, for instance. You know, Barkley's a, more of a difference maker. The question is, what it boils down to is, should an organization be paying running backs? I think in terms of, like, positional value, running backs are still at the bottom of the list. Their production's the most, you know, replaceable. That said, like, some of these guys are better than others, and they can make an impact in that way. Yeah, the, the way I see it is that in terms of running back value, when you're looking at runners, you should prioritize speed. Ultimately... I think hitting the hole is a little bit overrated in general. I understand that coaches want you to hit the right hole and that they're, they're very big sticklers on it. But when we actually look at what creates offensive drives, it's weird because there's been this whole movement on the passing side towards we need to create explosive plays on offense. We need to have those 20, those 30-yard passing plays. And then at running back, it's almost like people 
don't recognize how important speed is. And that ultimately, if you can break off a long run, that's pretty important. And you kind of date yourself in that. Yes, maybe that hole was created by the offensive line, but if you run a four, four versus a four, six, one running back gets 20 yards. The other might get six. So I've always thought when it comes to running speed is just the most important thing out there. We, I mean, I think the perfect example might even be like Elijah Mitchell rookie or Elijah Mitchell was not a great running back, but Oh boy, was this guy fast four, three wheels. And I, I think we kind of saw how that can make a difference. And then I think some people are like, well, pass catching running backs matter. Look at the receptions. And I think that matters to an extent, but I actually think what we should be looking at is the running backs that are catching passes that aren't the dump offs. I don't, I don't think you have to be particularly talented to catch a dump off pass. I, I think a good example is Leonard Fournette last year. I wouldn't necessarily say that Leonard Fournette, who I actually think is a pretty good pass catcher. He wasn't really demonstrating that last year. He was third in the NFL among running backs with 73 receptions. But I, I think of it more as like Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, rookie Jameer Gibbs, who's now on the Lions. You could say DeAndre Swift at times. The the truly elite pass-catching running backs, I think of them as really the biggest difference makers is when you're running actual routes and you can be used in some form as a downfield weapon. So Mr. Jonathan Taylor, I think he matters to an extent because, of course, he, he's super fast. Uh, that's very important. He's a big back. I would love to have a running back that can handle 20 carries a game and run really, really fast, but not, not a particularly plus pass catcher. I think there's value purely in the sense that you want the ball in his hands. So a dump off pass to Taylor, I'd much rather have that than a dump off pass to a running back. That's smaller and slower. Ultimately it's kind of tough to figure out which teams he needs to go to, to have more value than he'd have with the Colts. And I think with the Colts, we've talked about this a few times, like the, what are the big issues? Anthony Richardson, super mobile quarterback might not check the ball down, but at the end of the day, where else is he going to be able to just lock himself into 20 plus carries? There's nobody else on the depth chart that matters in terms of pushing him for carries. We saw earlier today that Zach Moss broke his arm. He's out for the next two months. So I I'm struggling. I know that you and Jordan Vanek put an article out on the 33rd team.com. Are there any landing spots there that you want to highlight? Cause you kind of went through and discussed any landing spot that kind of made sense and didn't totally tank his, his value for this season. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a few spots where, you know, he's had success as his own runner. I think he was last year. He was dinged up for, for missed multiple games, but in 2021, where he was the offensive player of the year runner up, I think he was second in the league in zone snaps for running backs. So that's where he's had the majority of his success. So what Jordan and I looked for was teams with a need at a, for a headlining running back, primarily in a zone scheme that are a contender that would want someone like him. So the Dolphins would be a good spot. They're a good spot for Dalvin Cook. They'd make a ton of sense for Jonathan Taylor. The Bears would actually be a pretty interesting spot. Um, the Bengals or the Chiefs would, would be interesting too, but they're not going to be able to afford them, so they're not really realistic. Two spots that Jordan and I came up with, though, is the Chargers and the Cowboys, where this year you know you have Austin Egler in Los Angeles. You have Tony Pollard in Dallas. They need like a secondary thumper where you know Jonathan Taylor shouldn't be stuffed into that kind of role, but Neither team has a long-term commitment to Pollard or Eckler. So if if that, you know, in that theoretical situation, if Taylor landed in either of those spots via trade, I think he might be an interesting short-term dynasty by low because he's probably going to have a middling year in, in either of those spots. But long-term, premium offensive lines, contending teams that run like zone-heavy schemes. So I think those are the two that would be sneaky interesting in that particular format. Yeah, I agree with you there. Not necessarily the best fit for this year, but I, I agree. 
the the communities in shambles. And ultimately we go, Hey, you know what? Uh, it's not like Jonathan Taylor's the type of running back wherever he is at this stage of his career, where the team's just going to draft his replacement. So if he's on the Cowboys the next few years, it's, I'd be pretty confident that he's, they're going to at least try and feed him kind of like that Ezekiel Elliott role from earlier in Zeke's career. I think as of right now though, I'd say Taylor's a sell in dynasty. He's the current RB five on keep trade cut. And it's not even that I necessarily hate that ranking. I think you could probably slot him anywhere from RB4 to RB7, and I wouldn't have any pushback. It's more so that when you look at uh, the, the value that keep trade cut assigns, his value is pretty similar to the guys near him. And I think there's a real tear break once you're dropping off from like a Jameer Gibbs to a Jonathan Taylor. So for me, at least, I think right now he's a sell. Cowboys, Chargers. I, I, there's a few teams out there where it becomes a buy, but I think in general, I, I'm just not that interested in a running back that has to get his fantasy points purely from rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. We just see it every year. It's pretty much Henry and Chubb. It's a very, very tough sell to get that type of player into a lead fantasy status. I mean, Taylor basically had to lead the NFL in touchdowns two years ago to be the RB1, whereas we've seen many other guys with more pass catching there that have like 1100 rushing yards i mean alvin Kamara had a season where he was the rb1 with sub 1000 rushing yards it's just much easier for the pass catchers now you know let's turn to another backfield that has had a little turmoil the last couple of days we have seattle you know a couple of weeks ago the whole offseason we saw this one a little bit differently now both kenneth walker and zach charbonnet have injury questions one of the big problems there is pete carroll hasn't exactly been the most reliable when it comes to talking about injuries you know it's tough to gauge like exactly how long either of the, these guys are going to be out right now. You know, let's 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 do a thought experiment. Let me know what you think is more likely. Kenneth Walker is the absolute bell cow for the first eight weeks of the season, and then Zach Charbonnet returns from his unspecified shoulder injury, or Zach Charbonnet returns to practice on Monday next week. Do those both sound pretty likely to me. How about you in terms of yeah. percentage? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the problem here is like I literally could see either of those being the reality within the next few days. Yeah. Yeah, I think the what we've learned over the years is uh, Pete Carroll is hard to trust. Even draft capital is never a guarantee. I remember right. multiple years of Chris Carson playing over Rashad Penny, even when Penny was healthy. So how do you, how do you see this now in terms of what you'd be doing with this recent injury news with Walker and Charbonnet? I think if there's like a major dip on Walker, I'm going to buy, you know, I'll, I'll lean into that uncertainty a little bit, but you know, the truth is if both of them are going to miss time, I think, I think they could end up dialing up the passing game volume a little bit early in the year. So I'm already taking, you know, Metcalf, Lockett, JSN, Geno Smith to a degree. I might up the ante a little bit over the next few weeks. If there's any kind of, you know, if they don't rise from this. Yeah. That's kind of how I was thinking about it as well. I think the one other guy to mention and put on the radar is Kenny McIntosh. Ryan's probably sick of me mentioning him because <laughs> pre-draft, I wouldn't shut up. And I was like, guys, there's a running back that goes undrafted in best ball. He's currently projected to go in the third or fourth round of the NFL draft. He had like 50 receptions last year and a ton of rushing yards. And then, of course, he he's slow as molasses and he goes late day three to the Seahawks, which kind of killed my enthusiasm. But one thing I will say, because a lot of people will just say, Josh, I saw his 40 time and I'm done. 40 time doesn't matter that much for pass catching running backs. It matters for the pure runners. Again, we talked about how speed matters when running. 
when it comes to pass catching, the speed's less important. It's much more about just the route running. And I'd say Kenny McIntosh, certifiably good receiving back. So I would be remiss not to mention my former love affair with the now slow as molasses, Kenny McIntosh. Unfortunately as well. Uh, so I, I was definitely like much more pro Zach Charbonnet than you in terms of at least for 2023 expectations. I have a new premium handcuff that I like because Zach Charbonnet, I don't think we can, it's a little tough to tout him when he's currently quote unquote out indefinitely. According to Pete Carroll, I like tank Bigsby, the current RB 52 on fantasy pros, half PPR uh, running back consensus RB 52. That's very late. He was taken in the third round of the NFL draft, competent runner, competent pass catcher, Behind Travis Etienne, I think he's almost certainly the guy right now, given that draft capital. So if you're telling me that Etienne gets hurt like he did two years ago and misses the season, and then this guy looks like the next man up in an offense we love with the Jaguars, he goes behind many, many, many other handcuff-type backs. And when I was thinking about it, I was like, Jalen Warren goes many rounds earlier. I almost prefer Tank Bigsby. If you told me Warren and Bigsby were both starting running backs for their respective teams, I would simply defer to the guy that has much better draft capital, the NFL thought more highly of, and who's on a much better offense. Who is your uh, premium handcuffed at this point? Since you weren't going to say Charbonnet anyway, but you can't anymore either. Who who are you going with? No, I, I would have said Charbonnet before this because, you know, <laughs> I... I if Kenneth Walker goes down, he gets all of it, and then he's a difference maker. You know, he's a league winner like Walker was last year. But again, the phrase out indefinitely usually is bad news. I mean, again, we don't know exactly what that means coming out of Pete Carroll's mouth, but traditionally that means the guy's going to miss some time. So I'll, I won't use him either. But I'm going to use a guy you mentioned before, actually. I'm, I'm Elijah Mitchell's a guy that I like as my RB4 in a lot of teams to this point for, you know, some of the reasons you said. The 49ers system is really the target here. And, you know, guys like Jeff Wilson have made it work there. Guys, you know, to date back to like guys like Olandis Gary with Mike Shanahan in that system. This is like a very running back friendly, you know, team, San Francisco. And like you said, the thing that Elijah Mitchell brings to the table is speed on top of it. You know, we saw him be an impact player as a rookie. You know, I don't think very many people saw that coming. Um, And last year, even he, you know, Mitchell missed some time last year. Even when they brought McCaffrey in, I think it was against the Chargers were one of the games. He had double digit carries in that contest. So he has a little bit of standalone value. I'd lean him slightly over Jalen Warren as my favorite premium handcuff right now. Guys, that is Ryan Reynolds, who is at Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter. Make sure you're following him. And the producers have been in my ear and they they said, Josh, we, we, we really like the running back talk. We should keep it going. So we're going to turn to some of these free agent running backs that people keep talking about. And we're, it's time to give some definitive takes on where we think slash hope this player will go. Let's start with Dalvin cook. He's, he's been visiting with the jets. The, the last that I heard about Dalvin cook was he wanted three for 30 as a contract. And the jets wanted to give him one year, 5 million to me, at least that sounds like he's not going to go to the jets. Then where, where do you think he should go? Yeah, that's a pretty considerable divide. I mean, for me, <laughs> Miami makes the most sense. Scheme, need, contending team, the Dolphins for me. Yeah, I had the Dolphins written down. The honorable mention, I'd say, is the, the Cowboys. I still think there's a, just a massive gap in this running back room. And we actually have fantasy team previews that we're rolling out. They're free on the 33rdteam.com. The 33rdteam.com. 
you're organizing them. I'm writing up the running back rooms. Jordan Vanek writes up receivers. Ian Miller gives a dynasty buy or sell for each team. And when I wrote up the Cowboys running back room, I said, you know, there, there's something missing here. We have Pollard and he's probably best in the role he was in last year. This is not a player you want to force feed 300 carries. Ronald Jones has butterfingers and fumbles a lot. That's not really a player that a playoff contender like the Cowboys should be giving a ton of work to. We we need Ezekiel Elliott. We need that guy. I think Cook fits in there. Let's now turn to Leonard Fournette. I have a pretty spicy one for this. So I'm curious, where do you think Leonard Fournette should go? I mean, for me, it's the Bengals. I don't understand. Like, you know, they went to the Super Bowl two years ago. They lost by a hair in the AFC Championship last year. They're one of the four primary contenders in the whole league. They're going in this year with just Joe Mixon, basically, and a bunch of question marks after him. Leonard Fournette seems like a perfect fit to me, especially now with if Joe Burrow's ability standpoint. Leonard Fournette's a check down option for, you know, Tom Brady the last several years. So championship, he's played big in big moments too. I mean, I think that's a no-brainer with the Bengals. I like that one. I, I wrote down the Cleveland Browns. Oh, oh, oh. I I like Nick Chubb a lot. Yeah. I do not think he's as good of a pass catcher as Leonard Fournette. Jerome no. Ford's an incredible story until you remember that he only played special teams yeah. as a rookie and he has fifth round draft capital. And he really only had one season where he caught any passes in college. It was his final season at Cincinnati. I think he was seventh on the team that year in receptions. So you might say like, oh, 21 receptions for a 220 pounder. Then you kind of realize as you go down the pecking order that this was like the the team's seventh option when it came to receptions. So I, I think Fournette fits in well there. Reliable pass blocker for Deshaun Watson. This is a team that wants to pass a lot more. And I think Fournette kind of fits what they'd want to do. How about Ezekiel Elliott? We, we've mentioned his name. We haven't mentioned a fit. Well, I got to say, man, I love the Fournette to the Browns tank. I think that's super clever. With, with Ezekiel Elliott, I think Dallas is a natural fit, obviously. But I think the Chargers also make sense. Same situation. At least borderline fringe title contender, premium offensive line. He reunites with Kellen Moore. They need a thumper behind Austin Eckler. So I'm going to go with the Chargers. I wrote down the charges as well. And then finally, <laughs> uh, former Brown Kareem Hunt. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to, I have a spicy take here. I have literally taken zero shares of him because I don't think anyone's going to sign him. But given the J.K. Dobbins situation in Baltimore, I think that can make a little bit of sense potentially, especially since in Todd Munkin's offense previously, running back checkdowns went up a little bit. So I think that's, if he's going to go somewhere, I think that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, Hunt's a funny one. I remember, uh, probably like four or five months ago at this point, I said, I don't know if Kareem Hunt's going to be on a team. And it seemed kind of crazy at the time. And I said, he's getting drafted like pick 120 on underdog. I just cannot push the button if he's not on a team. And now he is basically free in best ball drafts. And I've been taking a lot of him. Uh-huh. I am. I agree with you. I think he might uh-huh. not play. But uh-huh. I, I actually identified two team fits where I'd get quite excited. So the first one yeah, is I the like Bengals. It. We've talked about that a lot. They, they definitely uh-huh. need somebody else behind Joe Mixon. It's just three unproven guys. Travion Williams, what is he in year four? And he's never touched the ball. Chris Evans, I I honestly don't know what happened. He got some runs a rookie two years ago. And then last year they decided that no matter what happened, they were never going to let him see the field. And then Chase Brown's a good story, but the level of competition he faced last year in college was not NFL level. He's pretty raw. Great all-purpose skill set, unlikely to actually see meaningful playing time. So I think Kareem Hunt just fits in nicely there with Joe Mixon where 
he can kind of do everything, just like Mixon can. I think Hunt's probably a better pure runner right now. And they're both good pass catchers, which you really want to focus on with yeah. Joe Burrow's calf strain. The other one I wrote down, I think this is an interesting one. I could see Denver. I, sure. I know there's been positive signs about Javante Williams, but again, 24 months later, J.K. Dobbins is still struggling with this injury. I do not believe that Javante Williams is actually 100% back. That would be pretty miraculous to have the kind of the, the doomsday ACL, PCL, MCL type tear, and then 10 months later be back. So I, I think this is kind of a, a facade in many ways. So I think Kareem Hunt fits in well there where we like Samaj Piran, but again, you probably want more bodies than that. And it's a yeah. system that's been yeah. really friendly to running backs whenever Sean Payton's been head coach. Anything to add there before we, we continue on? No, I like that too. I like that too. The Bengals, the Bengals would make sense for Hunt. I like that a lot. Yeah, he also fits in with their uh, checkered past of signing running backs who are not nice people off the field. So yeah. uh, they, they have a, a long history. Yeah. They, could, they could bring that back. <laughs> oh, man. This oh, is man. the hard-hitting analytical <laughs> yeah. advice that you're going to get from me today is Kareem Hunt, excellent culture fit with the Bengals of old. Oh, boy. Let's uh... – Let's move on to late round dart throws. I mean, most of these guys fail, and we all know that going into it. But, you know, especially if you're a best ball player, you got to take shots at different guys. I've been loading up on Zamir White all offseason. The primary reason is this. I, You know, we had Evan Silva on last week, and he said this too. I could see Josh G- D- Jacobs missing some games this year. You know, I think that situation's much different than the Saquon Barkley situation. He's going into a team environment that's, you know, they're probably going to be below 500. And this guy had, you know, the best season of his career last year. So I could see him holding on to that longer than most. And, you know, they don't – the Raiders running back room is pretty thin behind Jacobs. So I think White would be the primary ball carrier in that environment. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, I think when we talked about this, you always smile just thinking about knowing. Wouldn't you like to know who the Chargers RB2 is? Because I've drafted a lot of Josh Kelly. And then I think going even deeper, we're – regardless of draft size, he's there in the final round, 20 round draft doesn't matter. 24 round. He's probably still there. Isaiah Spiller, a, a pretty, pretty solid college resume. Fourth round draft capitals, not bad. He didn't play at all for the chargers last year, but if I remember correctly, he had, what was it? Was it a high, he had a high ankle sprain or he had some kind of injury in the preseason where it kept him out a few weeks. And I know for running backs or just really any position for these rookies, the preseason injury can be pretty, catastrophic for derailing their rookie year so he's someone where i just don't know who it is rb2 obviously we talked about guys like zeke could end up there but i've still been taking some shots at isaiah spiller who was a three-year starter at texas a&m and then if we go even deeper uh at least according to rankings i've seen maybe he's going to tick up with the jonathan taylor news but i've really liked evan hull i already liked him and then of course the jonathan taylor stuff happens and then, as we mentioned, Zach Moss breaks his arm earlier today. Today is oh. uh, was it uh, the thirty first of July? Monday, yeah. July thirty first. Yeah, I, I truly have no concept of days of the week as a work from home employee. It is Monday, July thirty first, <laughs> and <laughs> with Taylor potentially out or at least angry, Zach Moss out. Deion Jackson all reports that he has terrible work ethic, and that the team just does not like him. Evan Hull was a massive pass catcher in college. Two years ago, he had over a thousand yards in college. So we've seen the the ability of him as an all-purpose back. He ran in the four fours at 210 pounds. 
despite people saying, oh, you know, I just don't think he was, he's actually that athletic or yeah, we saw some long speed on tape, but I don't believe it. And then he just kind of put everyone to silence. He's essentially Miles Sanders as an athlete, which is, is a very big compliment. Those who think I don't like Miles Sanders. Hey, I would like someone like Miles Sanders a lot more if he was free in fantasy drafts. So I'm going to go with my, my guy, Evan Hall been steadily taking him more and more gobbled him up in rookie drafts. And in no way was it because I thought Taylor wouldn't play this year, but Hey, we'll take it. Yeah. Anything to add to Hull Spiller? I, I saw you smile again, as I mentioned, solving oh, yeah. this chargers room. Yeah, no, uh, ideally in, a, in about a week or so, Josh, we're going to have a guy that maybe can shed some light on that chargers running back room. So I'm looking forward to that personally. Yeah, it would be pretty nice if we got an NFL insider on the show. So uh, yeah, it'd be good. It'd be good. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Now, yeah. Bef- before we we turn the tables and talk about a a veteran receiver of note, reminder that all of our content will be free for the 2023 NFL season on the 33rd teamcom You can see my work, Ryan's work, Jordan Vanek's work. We have a massive team contributing really, truly excellent, high quality content. What I, what I always tell Ryan behind the scenes is ultimately we're trying to be top three in everything we do. If I don't think we can have top three quality work somewhere, we're either not going to do it or we're going to find a way to modify our process to help get us there. We're not going to have any hot takes, no fluff. This is just well-researched, well-thought-out stances, and we're ultimately trying to help you win. It's the advice yeah. that I take for my own leagues, the advice Ryan takes for his leagues. We're going to be giving you the player props in our Discord, which is free to join, that we'll be taking ourselves where we're not doing any of this purely for content. I think that out of everyone out there in the industry, we're probably two of the people that are most against content for the sake of content. Let's turn to DeAndre Hopkins. God, people were so pissed. DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, what a way to end your career. Career ruined because several other veteran receivers who were much dustier than Hopkins was at his point in his career ended their careers on the Titans. I don't actually understand why people do that other than the engagement gets great engagement. I just, I don't think there's anything to it now. Why, why I think there's hope for Hopkins. Cause you might say, well, what, what's the hope? This Titans team looks terrible. Well, Ryan Tannehill had 33 touchdown passes in 2020. That would have ranked fourth last season. He did that in a 16 game season. Last season was 17 games. So I think there's real touchdown upside. We don't even have to squint. We've just seen Tannehill do it when he had AJ Brown and Corey Davis. And I'd say that the the weapons are similar when you have DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burks. That's a pretty good duo up there. Teams can't focus on Hopkins in the red zone with Derrick Henry in the backfield. The offensive line, Josh, but don't you know the offensive line is weak? I do. I think that could actually help a high-volume option like DeAndre Hopkins, who's operating close to the line of scrimmage. If they want to use Traylon Burks farther down the field, Nick Westbrook farther down the field, well, that's fine with me. DeAndre Hopkins, as Jordan Vanek noted in an article he wrote for the 33rd team, Hopkins is amazing at the curl route. He's great close to the line of scrimmage and getting separation. So I don't actually know if this bad offensive line actually hurts Hopkins. I think if anything, it's neutral or it helps him. How are you viewing Hopkins? And I'm, I, I just want everyone to know, I'm not saying that I love the landing spot and that yeah. he's suddenly this top 12 receiver. I'm just saying that when he keeps falling to the fifth round of fantasy drafts i've been the one that's saving him i've been drafting some hopkins there yeah i mean for me i'm one of the guys who thinks hopkins has at least one year left so i wasn't crazy about the tennessee landing spot buffalo would have obviously made me 
absolutely ecstatic. If he yes. ended up being Aaron Rodgers number two in the Jets, that would have been real interesting too. But like you said, Tannehill's competent. Tannehill's had some pretty good years. Um, this obviously signals that the Titans are trying to win this year too. That's that's a very interesting thing, not only for Hopkins, but for the big dog who we recently took in our pros versus Joe's team, Josh. Yeah, we took Derrick Henry at pick 23. That felt pretty good. And I'll actually have my top 55 running back rankings on the 33rdteam.com later today. They'll be free. You can see my top 55 and multiple paragraphs pretty much for every single player where I break down how I view their outlook and sort of what we should be expecting when drafting them. And I have six running backs in my tier one, starting with Christian McCaffrey and ending with Derek Henry. Welcome to tier one. So Henry has at least 1500 rushing yards in three of the past four seasons. I know you've talked extensively about his playoff schedule where he gets the Texans twice and then the Seahawks in the middle for weeks 15, 16, 17 this year. You can probably talk more in depth than I can about that, but essentially he gets three pretty cake run defenses where they, they're most likely not going to be able to stop the, the interior runs very well. So Henry could break some big ones there. And the way that I framed Henry was, I think Derek Henry has the role we want Nick Chubb to have. With no more Kareem Hunt, we really want Nick Chubb to catch more passes and get 20 carries a game. Do you want to know who already does that? Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry quietly had a 10% target share last year, which was uh, his career high for a full season. He had 398 receiving yards. I've talked a lot about Nick Chubb, and I say, hey, I like Nick Chubb this year because I think he can have his normal 1,500 rushing yards and 40 to 45 catches, maybe 300 receiving yards. Derrick Henry literally just did that this past season. And uh, the Titans, as you mentioned, it looks like they're actually trying to win. You don't sign DeAndre Hopkins to a two-year deal if you don't want to win. So at this point, what is it? It's age. And I'm just done betting against Derrick Henry purely due to age at this point. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of a kind of his own entity in a lot of ways. So I think it's smart to use baseline statistics like this. And, you know, you've taught me a lot in this area, actually, about, you know, age. And, you know, I, I'm I've been working with Adam Levitan for five years and we have his age model, too. But I do think Derrick Henry's one of those guys where it's like, let's bury him when he's done. You know, let's let's see him be done first. I don't I'm not saying we should be taking him in every draft, but like for best ball, for instance, I'm about even on him now. Now, let's go to another team that we don't really talk about very often, where this one, there's a very clear reason that's the yes. Arizona Cardinals are going to be pretty, pretty dicey without Kyler Murray. You know, there's been some optimism that he's going to return sooner than planned, but I think the chances of Arizona opening the season with, you know, one of Colt McCoy or Clayton Toon, which I don't even know what to do with Clayton Toon if he's the opening day starter. Um, Hollywood Browns was one of my favorite college wide receiver prospects. Um, with Kyler Murray, the you know, the sky's the limit with him. He saw big usage before Hopkins came back last year. Until then, though, oof, a little tough, a little tough. They have a new head coach this year, too, so I'm curious to see what happens with Jim Connors' usage that everyone's so confident is going to be sky high. I could see that being scaled back a little bit, potentially. Rondell Moore is an interesting player, short area quickness player. For a team like this, I could, you know, with, with – Cliff Kingsbury's horizontal air raid, Rondell Moore was a nice fit. Again, curious to see what the new scheme looks like here for them. I think Arizona is a team that, 
you can't count on them early in the year, but if you have Kyler Murray and you stack him up with Rondell Moore, you stack him up with Trey McBride, you stack him up with Hollywood Brown, that could pay dividends if your team's still alive late. So I think we see them a little bit differently. I think it's good to kind of illustrate. We've talked before about the range of outcomes. So yeah. I, the more I've looked into it, I'm starting to like James Conner. I, yeah. I think this guy could get a ton of work. Obviously, there's injury concerns. He might not have a ton of touchdowns. But I think from a pure role perspective, I think his role is top 10 in the NFL. <clears throat> let's let's look at the – so you mentioned the, the new head coach who was the Eagles' former defensive coordinator. We also have a new offensive coordinator. Here comes the football guy in me. We've got Drew Petzing in an offensive coordinator. Drew Petzing. I'm pretty convinced this is a Kevin Stefanski disciple. The past nine seasons, he has coached alongside him. There were six years – in Minnesota together. And then the past three years with the Cleveland Browns, those teams generally established the run and then they'd build their passing game off of that. And I think we could very well see that again. You mentioned what is it? Colt McCoy, Clayton tune. These feel like quarterbacks that more so than many others would need a strong run game an established run game to be able to pass the football effectively. So I think that's good for James Connor. It's made me very interested in Keontae Ingram, yeah, who has an all-purpose skill set, looks like the clear direct backup is free in every single fantasy draft. You just take him yep. in the last round if you want, or he goes undrafted if you don't take him. So yep. I, I think he's very interesting where they, they ride James Conner. Conner gets hurt. Ingram slips in. And then on offense, the guy I'm really interested in is Marquise Brown because I think they will go with a little more run-heavy approach, especially early. That's going to be... I think it's going to be a little tough for some of these other guys to be able to get enough targets where I'm just not confident Rondale Moore commands 20% of the targets, which he right. he might need to with his low average depth of target. Right. I, I think the, the case for Marquise Brown is so easy as to why you should draft him. So Marquise Brown through six games last year was pacing for 181 targets, 122 receptions, 1,374 receiving yards and eight touchdowns. And you'll be like, oh, come on, dude. Small sample. Then Hopkins came back. I know. Hopkins came back and Marquise Brown got injured. Well, guess what we're going to see at the end of the 2023 season. We're going to see Kyler Murray returning, playing with Marquise Brown, a team that won't be able to stop anybody on defense. There's no DeAndre mm -hmm. Hopkins. We could see Marquise Brown once again going nuclear for fantasy football at the end of this season when it matters most for fantasy points in those playoffs. So I've become more and more bullish on Marquise Brown simply because I don't expect him to be quite that good, but I mean, we, we literally just saw it last year in what's going to be almost identical conditions where there's no target competition. It's Kyler Murray. It's a bad defense. So I'm at this point drafting quite a bit of Marquise Brown and I've slowly been upping my James Conner exposure. And when my running back rankings drop, you'll see that I have him at RB 19 and I kind of lay out more in depth why I've pushed him into my top 20 since when I released these six weeks ago, initially I had Connor in the, the back of the top 25. He was like my RB 24 RB 25. And I did more research, thought about it more. And I bumped him up a little more where at this point, if he stays healthy, I think he's getting 20 touches every single game. Do you have anything to add on here? Am I right to assume as a base level, if we knew nothing about the guy that Drew Petzing would be kind of like Kevin Stefanski being that's who he's followed around these past nine years? Or do you think there's more to it than keeping it that simple? I'd say like a little bit of, from column A, a little bit of column B, he probably will adopt many of the same philosophies, but 
while interjecting some of his own. So I think there's at least a chance that Con- James Conner sees massive, a massive workload, especially since like, it's not like they're viewing him as a long-term piece here, you know? Yeah. He signed a three-year deal last year. Last year was year one. This is year two. I, I did the, 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 the snooping around and the guaranteed money pretty much indicates it's a two-year deal the yeah. last time I checked. So I think this is, this is their year to just kind of find out if James Conner is ready to retire. I think they're going to run him into the ground. They're going to release him and uh, we'll, we'll just see if any team picks him back up. Let's turn now to uh, a few receivers that I think are interesting to talk about some, some influx situations. We'll hit on these. And then before we go, we'll, we'll give away two long shot quarterback props in the betting markets that I think people should be paying attention to. But before we do that, let's let's look at some receivers in interesting spots. How about Elijah Moore? How are you viewing him for this season? Because he's really inexpensive. He was awesome as a rookie, and he was terrible last year. I was out on him at cost last year. I was taking Garrett Wilson at a cheaper price instead. Um, it's not because I don't like the player. It's just because I, how I saw that situation was the Jets spent the 10th overall pick on another wide receiver. It's not like Elijah Moore exactly established himself as a consistent option. He was more of a spike week player. I'm in this year at cost because – if Deshaun Watson's still Deshaun Watson, I think the sky's literally the limit for Elijah Moore, even if Amari Cooper doesn't miss a snap. So I think I think this is a volatile play, but I think the ceiling's very interesting. I, I have nothing more to add there. I, I was more interested in more than you were last year. I ended up being yeah. wrong. But uh, yeah, I think regardless of how you felt about him last year, it's a player that's good enough, that has the draft capital, and I think the change of scenery could be very good since... Ultimately, I think we both agreed it was terrible that he complained publicly about the yes. quarterback situation. Yeah. But privately, I would be pissed if I was him. So I, I think it actually makes sure. sense why he'd be frustrated. The team doesn't like that he's frustrated with Watson. Assuming he returns to form, there's no excuses. And I, it, it should be pretty good offensive conditions there. A team that's going to have incredible conditions for the pass and the run games, the Detroit Lions. A report came out today that Jameson Williams has been dropping some passes. Apparently he punched some undrafted rookie cornerback in training camp earlier today. Oh God, this player, he gambles at the team facility. How should we actually be, be viewing him though? Since I think we should take a more measured stance on a very talented player. Yeah. I think for me, I like him more in best ball because I see him as a spike beat player. We've talked about this a number of times from a skill set, skill set position. Him and Amon Ross, him and oh, wow, him and Amon Ross St. <laughs> Brown are perfect complements. They have entirely different skill sets, but do I think he's going to be a consistent factor this year? That I'm not willing to say, but I do like him in best ball at cost. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out my redraft stance. I yeah. I think the one thing that doesn't concern me is the six game suspension. I've never won a fantasy league through six weeks of the season. I don't know anybody right. that has. Right. But I, I think it's concerning that he just won't be getting those reps early season. But in terms of like, oh, you're going to have a player, you draft him and he won't play for six weeks. I mean, when you draft a guy in round 10, 11, 12 of fantasy, you're not actually expecting to start him for six weeks. You're expecting to start him at the start of the season. You'd probably be taking him earlier in the fantasy draft. And I, I think in terms of wide receivers with complementary skill sets, this isn't a one for one. But you can think, I think you can think about it a little bit like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, where Amon Ra's Godwin. Jamo's Evans, obviously Jamo and Evans look nothing alike, but the idea yeah. that two guys can operate in totally different parts of the field. Yeah. Amon Ross short to intermediate, more middle of the field, Jamo farther down the field on the outside. 
in that both of them can be highly fantasy relevant. Where, yes, even when Godwin commands a crazy amount of targets, it's not like Evans is dead for fantasy because he doesn't need as many targets with that role. So you can give JMO significantly fewer throws than you're giving Amra, and he can still pay off in fantasy. Let's turn to the Panthers wide receivers. Bryce Young is the future of this franchise. They took him at number one overall in the recent draft. They gave him a great offensive line. They they brought in Miles Sanders. Here's your new Pro Bowl caliber running back. The wide receiver room, though, it's it's strange. How how are you yeah. deciphering it? Yeah, I mean, since they're all like mid to late round options, I've I've taken a bit of all of them. Uh, I was fading Adam Thielen completely until he started to slide. And then, you know, now that he's going around the same spot as Mingo, I'm taking him a little bit. And what Jordan said on our show last Thursday, oh, man, he's, you know, we got to take him a little bit more now. I've been taking Mingo. I, I don't view Mingo as a, you know, a, a true, like, alpha receiver. But on this team, someone has to emerge. And he is, he is, he is similar to A.J. Brown in the sense where, like, he can catch a slant and get you some pretty good yak after it. So I think there's some potential there. And, you know, one thing I love about D.J. Chark is the Week 17 revenge game against the Jaguars. A little bit narrative-y, but I think that game has some sneaky shootout potential. And Chark's like a, you know, Chark's a better in best ball type player in general. So a little bit of exposure to all of them. I'm a little heavy on Chark, a little bit more heavy on Mingo. Yeah, I think Chark's the, a pretty fun best ball option. I think in your managed league, I think the, the only one that I would be drafting is Jonathan Mingo. I think yeah. with with Chark, even if you like that Week 17 matchup, it's pretty easy to see him being on waivers yeah. at many points in the season. You can kind of pick him up later. Best ball, obviously different. You have to draft him now. But with, with Mingo, God, I did not like this dude as a prospect. Yeah. He goes to the Panthers. The Panthers don't have a first-round pick next year. He feels kind of like their guy where yeah. if they thought Mingo was a, a wide receiver two or wide receiver three in the NFL, then they wouldn't have taken him in round two, knowing they don't have their first round pick next year. I think they believe there's a chance that he can be that guy. So we, we kind of know what Chark is. We obviously know what Thielen is quite well. It feels like Mingo is kind of the one guy where we just have no idea and he might be nothing, but I think early in the season, if he starts to flash, then, then we'll kind of know we should keep him on the bench fantasy and if it looks like he's kind of the odd man out and he's rotating behind like Terrace Marshall on game days, then we go, hey, let's just drop this guy. There is a, there is a team out there with a worse wide receiver room than the Panthers. It is the Texans. How are you viewing the Texans wide receiver room? Poor CJ Stroud and what he's going to be throwing to as a rookie. Yeah, I mean, I like Nico Collins, you know, throughout the offseason for the most part. But like he's going around like, pick like 105 now which is getting a little Literally. i mean there's you know i mean there's there's enough upside where like maybe he hits that but it's getting a little r- too rich for my blood now we've discussed this before we discussed it with pat Corain, you know over a month ago now i think in deep leagues that are ppr you can take a little robert woods you know it doesn't feel good the upside probably isn't enormous but in those situations maybe he's worth a stab uh, and your normal redraft, like your home league, like I, I probably wouldn't go near Robert Woods in most situations. John Mechie, you know, he's coming off, I, I believe it was a leukemia diagnosis last year. So Yeah, leukemia. Yeah. So, like, hopefully he's all, you know, it seems like he's all the way back. The truth is, like, this is such a volatile wide receiver group that I think there's at least some ch- – he's not drawing dead it 
end up being the end up being like the top option in this group. But again, I think that's a very narrow thing. And our guy Jordan Vanek likes Tank Dell. So again, I'm not sure I'm using a, a you know in your standard 15 round home league. I'm not sure I'm going after Tank Dell on that. But in best ball, I sprinkle him in a little bit because of Jordan. Yeah, everything you've said is kind of how I'm feeling. I'll add, I think Dalton Schultz is interesting as a pass catcher in yeah. PPR or tight end premium leagues where the guy just keeps getting lucky. Dak Prescott <laughs> falls in love with him. They get brunched together. I don't even know why Prescott <laughs> fed him so many targets. And now he goes to a Texans team with no receivers, so he might be in a high-volume role again. I'll give you an Nico Collins stat that presents him well because I agree 105 is a tough sell. And I'm not taking a lot of him, but I, I'd be remiss not to mention this. Nico Collins had the same targets per route run last year as Devonta Smith at 25%. Mm. And Nico Collins had a higher average depth of target than Devonta Smith as well. So the same target profile further down the field, obviously I'm not saying Nico Collins is as good as Devonta Smith. Nico Collins would have had significantly worse numbers if he was playing with AJ Brown and Dallas Goddard like Uh, Devonta Smith was. So I want to provide context because targets per route run is a great stat. It is not gospel. That's the perfect example, actually, as to why you can't take that stat in a vacuum or else you'd be taking Nico Collins in round two or round three like you do Devonta Smith. But I think it shows that he could command a high amount of targets per route down the field. That's at least interesting. It's why I think Jameson Williams should remain on your radar is anyone that's going to get a lot of targets down the field we should like for fantasy. Now, folks, before we give away our two long shot quarterback props, few reminders all of our content's free on the 33rdteam.com. You can check my profile on Twitter at jlarkytweets, and you'll see that I link to our free 33rd Team Discord. Make sure you hop in there. We're giving out prop bets. We're talking fantasy football. You want us to rate your fantasy draft? Go for it. In season, we'll be doing all our start-sit analysis, trade analysis. We'll have multiple hours a week dedicated to you where you can ask me, Ryan, Jordan, the rest of the team, Nick Bodford, about your start sets, your trades. We've got you. Ryan has been working tirelessly on team previews. They're up on the 3013.com. We're going to have about two a day as we get through all 32 teams. And you, you should be reading those. They take three to five minutes to read. You get insights from Ryan, myself, Jordan, Ian Miller. I think they're, they're pretty much the best snapshots that I've seen in the industry in terms of a quick and dirty way to feel smarter about this team and to kind of understand the situations. And remember, Ryan is at Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter. And the last plug is for this podcast. Whoa, this podcast, the 3013 Podcast Network. All our shows are free. You can find us on Apple and Spotify. Like, subscribe, five star. You know what to do. If you like free content, which everyone does, I don't know anyone that doesn't, please help us out with the podcast. <sighs> Take my deep breath. We've got two long shot quarterback props. We'll end on Ryan's because Ryan's is just as fun as it gets. So not everyone has bet 365. It's also why we should kick off with this one as opposed to Ryan's, <laughs> which is on more sports books. Bet 365 though is no longer just in Colorado and New Jersey. It is now in five States. I don't remember all five, but I know uh, Virginia got added. That's a heavy hitter, and there, there are two others. So, so Bet365, we're expanding. You can look at quarterbacks to throw for 40 or more passing touchdowns. And I took Justin Herbert at plus 900. That's an implied probability of 10%. Two years ago, before all the wide receiver injuries and everything happened, Justin Herbert threw 38 touchdown passes. 
He nearly got there two years ago. And now we have Kellen Mora as offensive coordinator coming in from Dallas. All he's talked about is how they want to move the ball downfield more aggressively. Every year of Herbert's career, the Chargers play at a breakneck pace. So pass attempts, pass volume, that's good for passing touchdowns. They drafted Quentin Johnston, a wide receiver in round one. So it's just an absolute stacked pass game. And I think Herbert should probably be plus 400, plus 500. He's currently plus 900 there. That to me felt like a very good prop to take. That was in Discord a few days ago. That's another reason why you should be in Discord. Ryan, you dropped a play today in Discord. Close us out with your favorite long shot in a quarterback market. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're talking about a former MVP winner. Let me get it a long shot odds. Back in 2021, he threw 13 interceptions in 12 games. Using that per game pace for a full season, he would have led the league in four of the last five years. That's an imperfect metric that we're using there, but it provides the point that he can quote-unquote contend in this race because he already has. He's getting a new offensive coordinator that's going to bump up the passing game volume according to just about everyone on the planet. I bet on Lamar Jackson to lead the league in interceptions at plus 3,000 on DraftKings. 